Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, this is part number 252. And uh, we are in Revelation chapter 19. We have worked through the New Testament pretty much a chapter at a time over the last five-year period. We're almost done. We have chapter 20 and 21 and 22. So a few weeks will be done. And then we will jump right in the following week to the book of Genesis. And we'll start working our way through the Old Testament, which will take 15 years. And then uh, we'll just hand it off to somebody younger. I, you know. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but anyway, we're, 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 we know where we're headed for a while. So um, working through the New Testament in this way I think is very helpful. We're holding it in context. It's helping us see how everything fits together. Um, you know, context is extremely important when you read through the Scripture. Uh, uh, it keeps you from taking things and using them in ways they were never intended. The context lets us look at the entire passage. It lets us know why it was written, when it was written, who it was written to, what the reasons for it being written were, questions that were being answered while it was being written, and um, all those things make a difference on the way that you interpret and understand the Scripture. And we worked our way through all of it. We're now in the book of Revelation, which is fascinating, um, and yet um, intimidating to a lot of people. There are many different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. I don't, uh, I don't presume to tell you I have it figured out. Um, I have a way of looking at it, and I sort of, um, it, it will, you know, be primary in what comes out of here, because it's the way I look at it, but I also understand that there are some valid interpretations that are different than mine, and that's all good. Um, I don't, that, that doesn't bother me any. You know, I, we're all going to find out at one point, so it's all good. Um, you know, it's the primary one, so about the book of Revelation, you know, some believe it was all just symbolic, that none of this really happened, it's just a story of good and evil. Some believe that all of these events have already happened, they happened in the course of John's lifetime or shortly thereafter. Um, there's there's other, other views that they've, they've, you know, sort of happened over seasons of time throughout the church. Um, I'm more of an opinion um, and hold to the belief that <clears throat> these events haven't happened yet and that... Uh, uh, we're waiting for them to happen. It's a futurist viewpoint. Within that viewpoint, there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. And, and you know, what I've been trying to say all along is, look, all we're really trying to do, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's see Jesus in it wherever we can. Let's see how it impacts us today. And um, let's not go crazy trying to figure out things that we probably aren't going to be able to figure out. Let's not try and force interpretation into it. Um, but let's learn from it. Let's, uh, and it said, it's, you know, it's a book with a promise and a blessing. It's, it's good for us to read it and study it. <clears throat> and I think it's a, uh, it's a fascinating sort of book. Now, today's chapter is really a neat chapter, chapter 19. And we begin to see at this point now the destiny of the saved and the unsaved. And this is, you know... Um, you know, the Bible, very clear that there's a very real heaven and that there's also a very real hell. Uh, and, and that as believers, we sort of have to understand this, this idea um, and I think find a balance, strike a balance that, um, I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of um, scaring people into the kingdom. Um, although some are, and I'm not picking on that. It's just not, I'd rather love people into the kingdom. So I, I tend to highlight the the blessings of the eternal life in the Father and the love of Jesus and what that looks like. Um, but th there's a reality for those that um, choose not to follow God is that there's a very real 
not good situation. And we'll begin a reading about that in chapter 19. And it's one of those things that sticks with the culture and their belief of God and, and why some people say they can't believe in God. And maybe you've heard it say, well, how can a loving God condemn anyone to hell? I don't know if you've ever encountered someone that would say something to you like that, and that's why the reason they, they just won't have anything to do with it. And, and um, you know, I want to look at that a little bit today, but I want to say that, you know, it's, it's not that God condemns anyone. The, the Scripture, and let me clarify that. The Scripture in John, you guys know this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Most of you know that, right? John 3.16. The following verse says, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The heart of God is that everyone would come to know him and be saved. The heart of God is that everyone would be in relationship with him for eternity. That is the stated heart of God. Here's the rub. All of us get to make a choice in this. We all get to choose about our relationship with God, and that's what we do in this life. We choose whether or not we want to be in relationship with God. And, and rather than, than picture God as some big meanie who's condemning people, anybody, know the stated heart of God is that he, didn't, he came to save the world, not to condemn the world. God wants us to choose to be in relationship with him. That's the whole point. He gave us this amazing choice. He wants to be in relationship with everyone, but he wants people to choose to be in relationship with him. He won't force it on anybody or it's not a, it's not a good relationship. You know, anything that you were forced into isn't good for you. And so he wants people to choose. What happens then is, is as you, and he's gone to great lengths to make it possible. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but he, he wants you to choose. And if you choose to be in relationship with him in this life, he honors that choice in the next and throughout all time. If, on the other hand, you choose not to be in relationship with him now, he will also will honor that choice and it will extend throughout eternity. Um, it's a different way of looking at that sharpness, but it understands that, that not only have all of us walked away from God, time after time after time, and he's gone to great lengths to make a way back, we still have the choice to choose do we, do we want to be in relationship with him or not, and he will honor that choice. And he will make it uh, abundantly clear to everyone that there's an opportunity um, in this lifetime. And, you know, just to get some, because we're about to talk about, you know, a lake of burning sulfur and a, and a renewed and holy earth, and, and then we get all our sort of cultural thing in there about, you know, well, that doesn't, how can God, how, that doesn't sound like the God I, I understand. And so you, you, we have to put it in some sort of context. So way back in Genesis, before I read it, let me just, in, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis 2, 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, that's important that that happens here. Then in Genesis 3, um, is the fall. We, we choose to do the one thing we're told not to do, and, and we're separ our sin separates us from God. We have a big issue. We can't get back there now. So, in, in effect, Adam and Eve made that choice for you, but that it was, it, you would have done it anyway. Um, so, we've, we've got ourselves in trouble. We're separated from God, who's perfect and holy. We're no longer that way. God fixes this problem again for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. So, so it's a rescue mission. God, God rescues us. It's a, Jesus coming is a rescue mission. And, and see, the reason for that is, is that he breathed this life into us. Um, we're, we're not just like, you know, mere sparks that sort of glow in the dark and then are gone, as some people think. Some people think, oh, you're just here for a short time and then you're done. No, the, the, the very essence, you know, the gift of the breath of God was breathed into us. And, and he invests in us his own likeness and image. And he makes us persons in the same way that, that God is, is a person. And because, you know, we share this with him, we're too significant to disappear as though we never existed. And so the, 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 the very nature of human beings as, as bearers of the divine likeness demands that even after the body has returned to dust, the personality, the living being of God must remain. And so um, un unlike God where we have a beginning and he doesn't, now in him we have no end. And because there's no other way to deal with the results of sin in beings whose nature grants them endless uh, existence is, is why at the very end of all this you see the, the lake of fire and why it has to exist. Something has to happen um, for people who just refuse to choose relationship with God, who choose to go their own way. Because they're, they're, they're going to go forever. There has to be some way to deal with it and a point in time when it has to take place. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Process that. I mean, it's a lot to process. It's a very heavy subject, and certainly there's other ways to look at that, and I, I would not hold that against anybody for, for having a different look at that. But, you know, me understanding that, um, that's why we're such a, why we need to be a people of mission. We have to understand that, that there is a, an end date on this, and for us as believers, that's a good thing, but for unbelievers, it's not. And, and we want to make an impact so that, that, that more and more people come to know Jesus, which reflects the heart of God. God wants people to be in relationship with him forever. That is the stated heart of God. And so we understand that, and, and uh, we want others to understand that as well. But he's made a way, and he's given us a choice. He will honor that choice throughout eternity. Revelation 19, here we go. Verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him and no one 
that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heavy were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress to the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you meet the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who would receive the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on a horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So, we get into some pretty intense stuff here. That's chapter 19. You got uh, 20, 21, and 22 coming. But uh, let's just look at some of those verses uh, just kind of briefly together. The first nine verses, this huge crowd in heaven begins to worship and praise God. And here again we have the elders um, and, and the living creatures and the choir of heaven singing uh, about the victory of God and the wedding of the Lamb. It's the, it's the culmination of human history. The, the wedding of the Lamb and His bride and the church uh, and, the, and the judgment of the wicked. This is uh, the, the end point. You know, everything is coming to an end. Sin and evil are finally being dealt with for all time. And things are in the process of being restored to the way they once were when it comes to relationship with God where it's the beginning of the rest, you know, the process. Is, evil is finally being dealt with. Now, there's a, there's a thousand-year thing that pops in here a little bit. And uh, we're not exactly sure how that runs, but, but that finds its way in there. And at the end of that, then everything is dealt with once and for all. But um, I love this picture again now. This, all this bad, you know, this horrendous, the wrath has happened. It's, it's been horrendous. And uh, a lot of believers have been persecuted in the process. And now um, evil is, is finally being dealt with. It's the, it's the end of it once and for all. And, and this worship that we saw in chapters 4 and 5 breaks loose at the throne again. And um, I love to think about that kind of worship. I love to think about the worship around the throne room of God. And I, and I love to think about that, you know, there's something as we worship that, that taps us into that ongoing process. That ongoes, that's ongoing around the throne room, worship. And that when we worship corporately, we, we tie into that in some level. And I, I think it's a very fascinating thing. And, and now the wedding of the Lamb is, is happening <clears throat> Is, is taking place, and this wedding feast that goes on during this, I, I think, it, you know, the wedding feast used to go on for like seven days. I, I think it's a picture of what happens during, if in fact the church has been caught up, the wedding feast takes place during the process of the tribulation. If the church hasn't, then it happens all here at the end, but, but there's a lot of neat ways to put that together, and like I said, there's a lot of ways to look at how that happens and when. Um, um, but there's a lot of contrast in the things that are taking place now between the, the true and the counterfeit. The counterfeit is finally being dealt with. The Babylon, the counterfeit, has, is, it's, it's just been destroyed. The, the false religious system in chapter 17, the false world system in chapter 18. 
Um, verses 10 and 11, um, you know, John's so overwhelmed. When the angel shows up, he tries to worship the angel. And once again, you know, the angel says, don't worship me. I'm, I'm not, you know, only God is worthy of worship. And, uh, and then there's like, you know, he's, the name that was is faithful and true, which is like the, the absolute contrast to Babylon, which was faithless and deceptive. And so here's faithful and true is, is the name that Poppins and Pop opens. And then in verse 12, um, through, through there, um, you know, John sees heaven open up and he sees Jesus, um, but this time no longer as a lamb, but as a warrior. And, uh, I think that's so cool. So Jesus is going to come now on a white horse, a warrior on a white horse. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, it says this, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you. Because you have believed our testimony to you. And so, um, you know, a time will come when, when somehow we're a part of this happening, this, 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 you know, big, huge victory that's about to take place um, in the process. And, and it, it, it's the, you know, the picture of Jesus. You know, he, he came the first time as the lamb and he, he brought forgiveness and a, and a way to be reconciled. When he comes back again, it's the great and fearful day of the Lord. He comes to bring judgment, to deal with evil for people who have refused um, to, to follow uh, after all the chances that have been given. And, and uh, you know, the great banquet with, where they're inviting the birds to feast on the flesh, it's, the, it's again, it's a, it's a graphic, horrendous contrast to the wedding feast that's also mentioned in the, in the same chapter. You know, one's a great celebration and the other is uh, just a devastation. And, and, you know, the, the, the battle, um, the culmination battle is about to happen, and, and uh, you know, it's often referred to in the Scripture as the Battle of Armageddon, but, you know, I, I think maybe it's just better to call it Armageddon, because it's, it's really not much of a battle. The, the evil one and all his, they all sort of line up for battle, and it says that the Lord just speaks. Um, his sword, you know, his tongue's like a two-edged sword, he just speaks, and the battle's done. It's... <laughs> It wasn't like it, you know, it's, it's just done and boom, done. Uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's the extent of it. They're all lined up and ready to go. And it, and it says, you know, the, the, uh, the, there's no fight. The victory all happened at the cross. I mean, get that. The victory has already taken place. The, the victory happened 2,000 years ago. That was the real victory. This, this is all just mop-up effort. And when he gets on the horse and comes down, it just speaks it to be over. And it's over. Just the way he spoke everything into existence, and and um, it's you know that that it's a, it's the great and fearful day of the Lord. You know it's it's great for us, but it's it's uh, it, there's a there's an end result of not following Jesus, and and um, you know it's it's a part of the deal. And so I just wanted to bring that in. It's there. You gotta you gotta sort of factor that in. We we would culturally like to just make that oh, well, you're either in heaven or you're just non-existent, but the Genesis 2, 7, that breath of God is in you. You go on forever now. It's a pretty significant deal. But, but you, you can't go on forever apart from God in his presence. Um, and, and that's why we are people of mission. We want, we want people to have their name recorded in the book of life. And, and uh, that's why, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of us. It's our heart. Because it's the heart of God. 
And I hope you hear that. With all this stuff going on, evil has to be dealt with. Evil is evil. It has to be dealt with. Um, but the heart of God is that everyone would, would come into relationship with him. But they have to choose. He can't force it on them. And, and he gives them the opportunity to choose. And, and there's a very real enemy who's at work trying to keep them from knowing the truth. And, and yet there's every opportunity for people to come. So that's kind of the, the, the bulk of 19. And uh, we'll pick up more over the next, next few chapters are fascinating in Revelation. And uh, what's coming and how it looks and um, what we can understand of it. But that's good for today. Good enough. So if you're watching on video, thank you. Or TV, thank you. Love to see you sometime. Come and visit. But that's good for tonight. Please go ahead and shut down the video.